real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is March 9th, 2020. It's Monday, and it has been a very, 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 very uh, busy weekend on a global front. Uh, we have a lot of things coming out. Uh, I mean, I don't know how to start today's show with you guys, aside from saying uh, we're going to talk a little bit about... Uh, technology and um, uh, what we're seeing. I'm going to refer back to February when I talked about February wearing concrete boots. And I'll try to make sense of it. But in the meantime, I want to talk about uh, all these things that are happening, the fake news media, the fake paranoia, the emails asking people to self-quarantine themselves, uh, to volunteer to be quarantined. Turns out it's mostly... um, the fake news pushing the coronavirus, the fake news pushing uh, the narratives uh, in Europe and in the Middle East, and the fake news nonstop along with Twitter. Uh, you know, Twitter has now decided that Biden endorsing the president of the United States and having a lapse of memory forgetting who he was vice president to are doctored videos when they were streamed live. Um, And yet we have, you know, tons of explicit child pornography and regular pornography living on Twitter with no questions asked. And this is all part of the panic because now, uh, you know, the things that have been happening up until, uh, well, for the past three years, entering into the fourth year of this administration have been nothing but setting down, laying out the flooring so that we can build this strong house. And that's where we're at. That is exactly where we're at right now, that we have been creating the foundations in order to catapult, uh, to catapult up. And a lot of us, I agree, are so fed up. I want to see them perp walk. I want to, but see, you don't just perp walk big boogeymen. You know, I've said this before, even though I would love to see them walk down an aisle and all of us scream out, shame, shame. It doesn't go like that. And the fact that they revel in it by attacking and talking smack online is even worse. Now, what we have to worry about is like these DARPA projects. Now, I've talked about those before. Um, I've written about them before. And I've told you how Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook have complied with DARPA many, many, many times. Huh. These reality hackers, you know, really, really push. And, you know, since there are very few that can actually uh, manipulate pushback, the narrative has to stay on. And that narrative is what we say. Um you know, we've, we've talked about frequencies and without getting too fluffy here, let's stick to the science. Um, negative frequencies, negative thought, negative anything resonate on, uh, I want you to like envision it as small little waves in an ocean, small little ones, whereas more positive or aggressive. It could be just one wave in that ocean. It'll still make a bit of a splash, but you know, it'll die down when it's one wave yet good, uh, Uh, I would say a momentum of thought 
comes stronger. Positivity comes stronger. You see, when you want to fight war on drugs, you don't say, well, let's fight. No, you say pro, you know, this. When you want to say, this is why they change their message to pro-choice rather than anti-life, right? Uh, So always think positive. And I loathe watching, uh, you know, the, the conservative, I want to say conservative, but I, I shouldn't because not all Republicans are good. I mean, look, a lot of them are just going to get sick. I'm just saying singling that stuff out. Um, you need to see how, um, how can I say this? You need to keep moving forward and have a positive view. Understand that a lot is going on. You just can't see it, no matter how much we point out. But what you can see is a concerted attack by them. You see the media thumping the same tone, the same sounds, the same rhetoric. That should tell you everything you know. And in the age of information, ignorance is a choice. And in the age of information, following blindly is also a choice. I mean, unless you've lost your inner voice to tell you, "Mm, I don't know, this doesn't feel right, then you should be able to make objective decisions. You should be able to see things objectively um, per se, because obviously everything, our own reality is always subjective. So, um... I want us to uh, put forward, um, you know, human. Uh, well, I, I'm going I'm to put Secretary Azar giving an update on the coronavirus outbreak. I think it's important that we listen to what he says. Take a listen. And let's bring in our headliner today, Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar. Mr. Secretary, good morning and welcome. Good morning. Good to be with you. Uh, definitely a lot to get to with you here. First, I know that you have a new announcement to make on the ongoing preparations being made. What exactly is that? Well, we're bringing in the Grand Princess. It's going to dock today as well as start offloading passengers from that ship. They're going to be offloaded in a way that protects, first and foremost, the community and secondly, protects those individuals. They'll be in an isolation quarantine environment. Uh, They will then go to facilities that we've arranged around the country uh, for their own care. Uh, They will be tested. They'll go into 14-day quarantine. Uh, We're going to be leaving the crew on board the ship, although we're surging medical staff. We already have put people on board the ship. to isolate those individuals, make sure appropriate isolation and quarantine is happening on board that ship. Uh, And we're working very closely with Governor Newsom and the mayor of Oakland on all of these efforts. There's criticism, obviously, of the federal effort here. And I I just want to get from you. Do you feel like your department, that the federal government and your department have their arms around this crisis? Uh, We've been on this from day one when we first got word from the China CDC about this and have been working aggressively to prepare this country for what we see as a very serious public health threat. Uh, We'll take all actions necessary to protect the American people, working with our state and local partners. Uh, We have gotten uh, we've gotten a diagnostic out there. Uh, That diagnostic is in the field. It's available for our public health labs, our labs, our hospitals. Uh, So over a million shipped over the weekend. We now have two point one million available for 
use in the United States. So testing uh, is fully available to our providers. We've got we've rapid uh, work on a vaccine that should go into clinical trials very soon. We have a therapeutic already in clinical trials. We've taken historically aggressive border patrol and uh, border control measures to protect the American people. And we're going to keep taking very aggressive steps to protect America. Mr. Secretary, there's a lot to break down there um, as far as the vaccine and the timing of that vaccine, because there also seems to be mixed communication on that. But if I could turn everyone's attention to the Dow, because we've been watching uh, the U.S. stock market since it opened for trading just over an hour ago. And right now there is a significant sell-off happening on Wall Street, more than a 5% drop on the Dow. Uh, It is a 1,380-point drop due in part to coronavirus fears. So does the administration feel like it has put out a a confident message and a uh, one easily understood by the American public to limit those fears because they are significantly playing out in our stock market this morning. So President Trump has delivered a historically strong economy, whether it's on unemployment numbers or on productivity, and he's going to keep doing that. But his number one concern across the whole of government, along with Vice President Pence, is leading the public health preparedness and response effort here. Our economic team will work on economic aspects of this. And President Trump, having delivered the best economy in modern history, has the tools and knows the tools to keep this economy going. Did he have but his anything first to say focus about is public that? health. Did he have anything to say about that? stock market sell-off this morning? Uh, I haven't spoken to the president yet this morning. Okay. The president in the air right now, uh, as we understand it, having just taken off from uh, West Palm Beach a little while ago. Listen, uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, obviously Democrat of New York, has been critical of the federal effort. Here's what he told Maria Bartiromo. Look, testing is limited. And this is, I think, Maria, one of the main issues we have, both in reality and in perception when you wonder why people are so anxious and the fear, uh, it's because the information they're getting tends to change and they're getting mixed messages. How do you answer that last part in particular? Mixed messages, says Governor Cuomo. Well, um, you know, listen, I, I'm disturbed by that comment because Governor Cuomo has actually been a really good partner working with us. So I'm, I'm, I'm confused by what he's saying there because New York State and New York City have all the lab tests they've asked for. In fact, we've offered them more and they've refused further shipments of lab tests. So uh, there's just no factual basis for what he's saying there. But he's been a good partner and we're working really closely with the New York City Public Health Department as well as with New York state. We actually approved last uh, over a week, I think a week and a half ago, uh, we approved New York, maybe a week ago, New York State's a lab test that they developed and that we actually approved. So they've been up and running with capacity uh, for any need they've had. Let me really be really clear about one point. There has never been a time since the CDC developed the lab test that any public health official in the United States who needed to get somebody tested for the novel coronavirus has been unable to get that person tested through the CDC's test in Atlanta. We have had capacity and throughput at every moment since we developed this test. That is a fact. Secretary Azar, uh, Fox News is just now reporting that the White House has made the decision to limit certain in-person meetings because of the growing spread of the virus. According to a senior administration official, uh, the White House and the State Department are discouraging foreign officials from coming to visit, instead opting for phone calls and video conferences when possible. Can you confirm that? 
Well, I, I don't have all the details. I'm sitting here with you as any announcement like that's been made. But we're going to take steps just like private industry uh, to ensure protection of our people and to mitigate the spread of disease, take appropriate, reasonable steps. You know, we're working right now. The CDC is embedded in the state of Washington with Governor Inslee and in California with Santa Clara County, where we're advising them on future mitigation steps to take, um, including social gatherings to especially protect those who are elderly and those who are medically fragile. As you talked about in the opening here, um, there is a certain cohort of individuals globally that are most at risk from severe and critical medical conditions as rising out of this novel coronavirus. And we need to take extra protections in those environments to ensure infection control and for those individuals to stay away from settings that put them at greater risk. Uh, Secretary Azar, there's also confusion about the coronavirus. If you could, we, we talked about this last hour and we said we would ask you, the coronavirus has been around for some time. It's the COVID-19 strain of the coronavirus that has caused all of this, uh, all of these problems. What is it about that strain and what makes that so different than the coronavirus that has existed? Yeah, so there's a normal coronavirus, a couple of strains of it that exist and have existed for a long time out in humanity. Our bodies are used to dealing with them. They have a known profile in terms of morbidity and mortality, and they're all and, and people are used to dealing with that. SARS, MERS, and now COVID-19 are genetic modifications to that virus that the human body is not used to dealing with, does not have any type of response mechanism built in for it, um, and has a particular severity, a mortality and morbidity profile different from the common cold. And as we talked about, in particular, what we're seeing is the elderly and individuals who are medically fragile are most at risk of severe and critical complications from the disease. Fortunately, we're seeing that while children and younger individuals can get the disease, globally the data seems to be indicating that they are less at risk of severe or critical complications from the, from the virus. But we're continuing to learn every day, and we're continuing. President Trump is going to insist that we take aggressive measures in a whole-of-government approach to protect protect the public health here in the United States as our first Secretary, priority. so we've only got a couple seconds left, but we hear you putting out a confident message, one where you say that the messaging is coming from the White House is accurate and all-inclusive. Uh, we also hearing you say that um, despite what we've heard from other administration officials, if you want a test from the CDC, you will get a test. Nobody's being denied that. What is your biggest challenge, your biggest struggle right now in all of this? Uh, our biggest challenge right now is is to ensure that we contain further spread into the United States and that we work with our state and local partners to mitigate spread in areas where we've had community spreading. So that's working with Governor Inslee. That's working with Santa Clara County. It's working with New York State and City. It's working with Florida um, to take the aggressive measures needed to slow down the spread of this disease uh, so that we can always continue to buy time and mitigate the impact here in the United States. But make no mistake, this is a very serious health problem. Nobody is trying to minimize that. It is a very serious public health threat to the people of the United States. And that's why President Trump from day one has been aggressive with a whole of government approach and will continue to do so. I know I said last question, but one more. There are schools open all over the country. Some have decided to shut down as a precaution. Uh, do you recommend any further school closings at the federal level, Secretary Azar, based on what you are seeing and hearing, especially considering the White House is now limiting in-person meetings? 
So we haven't recommended that every single community in America close schools. We're working with individual communities based on the data in their community and what cases they have seen. In some communities, closing schools is a very appropriate measure. In others, it might be having school, but limiting assemblies and larger gatherings within the school. So it's very much a local and state decision about the approach to take based on data. We're there to help and advise them. All right, so we hear him, so Secretary Azar, telling us what a big risk this is. We heard today that Ted Cruz self-quarantined himself because he came in contact with someone who was, you know, diagnosed um, with COVID-19. Um, he released the following statement. Last night, I was informed that 10 days ago at CPAC, I briefly interacted with an individual who is currently symptomatic and tested positive for COVID-19. That interaction consisted of brief conversation and a handshake. I've consulted with medical authorities from Houston Health Department and Harris P County Public Health and Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the Department of Health and Human Services, as well as my personal physician. I've also spoken with Vice President Pence, Leader McConnell, and Mark Meadows. I'm not experiencing systems and I feel fine and healthy. Given the interaction was 10 days ago, that the average incubation period is five to six days, that interaction was for less than a minute, and that I have no current symptoms, the medical authorities have advised me that the odds of transmission from one individual to me were extremely low. They also advised that testing is not effective before symptoms manifest, and my brief interaction with the individuals does not meet CDC criteria for self-quarantine. The medical authorities explicitly advised me that given the above criteria, the people who have interacted with me uh, in the 10 days since CPAC should be concerned about potential transmission. Nevertheless, out of abundance of caution and because of how frequently I interact with my constituents as part of my job and to give everyone peace of mind, I have decided to remain home in Texas this week until a full 14 days have passed since the CPAC interaction. Everyone should continue to treat this outbreak seriously and be driven by facts and medical science. We need to continue to be proactive in mobilizing resources to combat the outbreak, including the $8.3 billion in emergency funding we provided last week. And I encourage everyone to follow the recommendations of the CDC and other health professionals in protecting their own health and welfare, as well as the health and welfare of those around them. Now, I don't remember if I told you guys, but um, I had a little bit of a, 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 a thing. Uh, it was a couple of weekends ago. It wasn't one, two, three weekends ago uh, or maybe four. I woke up on a Sunday morning and, uh, you know, right before I go to church. And you know how when you're like, you know, sleeping, but you're rested and you kind of slept in and you're kind of dreaming, but you kind of not. Well, I felt that, um, I actually dreamt that I was at my, the lobby of my house at the, like the apartment building and I coughed. Um, and someone like pulled me aside and said that they're going to mandatory quarantine me and test me. And I was like, listen, man, I'm sick. I'm also a smoker. Leave me alone. Because I was like, oh my gosh, this is how they nab you and throw you into like health jail. Now, 
The reason I say this is because about two years ago on air, I told you guys that there's got to be a way where we can, you know, create this like military law. So that way we can swoop in. Remember, we've got tens, over 10,000 sealed indictments, Um, you know, and this can be swept and done pretty quickly uh, without the eyes of the people on everything. And so uh, this virtual access to meetings and to people, I can tell you now, we're going to be using a lot of Twitch. So if you guys aren't on Twitch, I suggest you get, uh, you know, a handle. Did you know that the president of the United States also has a Twitch handle? I'm just pointing that out. Um, even though it hasn't been used. Uh, bigger bandwidth, obviously gamers use it. I mean, I'm not a super gamer, but I game. You know, I was pretty happy to see The Sims trending today. Might indulge in something um, later this afternoon while I'm on conference calls. So the point of the matter here is we have to think of this in a different way. Uh, The self-quarantine, the self-present yourself and go get tested is a thing. Um, For me, you know, everybody picks their own. But for me, it's just getting myself little clementines. I kid you not. Those are like miracle workers for viruses. Anybody who knows me, I tell them this and they're just like, whoa, this is like the super medicine. Obviously, you know, after you eat a bag of these, like three pounds of these in one go, that's like how much you need. You need like a massive amount. Um, you know, you might have you know, bowel problems the next day. Do that for 48 hours straight, man, and you feel 100%. Like in my family, the minute someone says, my throat feels scratchy, it's like, yo, here, grab a clementine. Here's the rest of the bag. You finish that. No dinner till you're done with that. But I'll be full. Doesn't matter. You'll be empty later. Eat that. So, What we need to do is wash our hands, do what works for you, right? I'm just telling you what works for my family. Um, For those of you that have asthma or are prone to, you know, chest infections, um, you know, to go crazy, you know, make sure you have your inhaler with more than like 10 pumps in it. Uh, Maybe go get your prescription renewed. Uh, But I'm not prepping. Uh, If they stick us in a more virtual system, uh, you know, from schooling to work and everything, you know, um, which I highly, I mean, this is like a panic without a panic. But you know, never leave a good crisis, you know, without, you know, exploiting it. This could be it. I mean, I thought it could have been like fake aliens. Um, to, to put it forward, but what I, um, but what I saw, you know, doing my little math spiel and traveling down, you know, my subjective timeline, it seemed that, uh, this seems all more of a reality. Uh, it's, um, more so on that path of just going forward, uh, with it. I see um, many things are going to be coming to light. A lot of um, a lot of infighting, and I'm seeing that all over the internet already. And maybe a lot of people aren't like me. I mean, I get salty. Don't get me wrong. I get really salty when I see people put out articles like I don't know, just this weekend, some major publication put out an article about Ukraine talking about, you know, how Google invested in CrowdStrike, talking about how now CrowdStrike is stepping, walking back on their comments. And it's like, um, so I wrote that six months ago. Um, we already know that, um, the CEO of the, you know, the Ukrainian CEO of CrowdStrike stepped down. Um, hello, 
that's not news. And it makes me wonder if these right wing, you know, media outlets that people rely on and for some reason consider news because everybody keeps retweeting them are so behind on actual news that it's done on purpose. And I think it stems from the frustration that you hear in the president's voice when he's talking. He's thumping his accomplishments. He's telling you what's going on. Why isn't the media doing it? I mean, we're doing it on Red State, aren't we? We're analyzing what's going on. We're predicting what's going on based on what we have. Okay, fine. I'm a bit of a time traveler, right? Crystal ball and all. But in general, we're always a step ahead. Why? And in this case about Ukraine, months and months ahead. Remember, those indictments that Rudy Giuliani is talking about, I published over six months ago. Remember, I had all that out there, but... Again, it tells you something different. It's not like I'm not linked up to this conservative media. I know that they read my things. We interact about it, but they don't report it, which makes you wonder why. Uh-huh. Because, again, listening to that inner voice, you guys, listening to that inner voice to say, huh, I don't know, man, the timing's just, huh. All we need to do is listen to the president and he's telling you exactly it. Something I said years ago and I got trashed for it by the left. And it wasn't until um, a fitting of Judicial Watch said the same thing I said that everyone's like, oh, that could be. Which is we are impeaching 44. And, you know, I know many of us say, oh, well, you know, he's going to run away and claim Kenyan citizenship. Keep in mind, he was born in Morocco. He's just going to claim it. I want that to be clear. He was never born in Kenya. He is not Kenyan. He's Moroccan, but his sanctuary will be Kenya. I'm pointing that out to make a complete distinction between the two. One is where he was born. He said it himself. And one is where he will claim. Remember his mom... Stanley Ann. Just saying. I'll see you all in a bit. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. So um, in the first hour, we talked about the coronavirus panic, uh, you know, (laughs) toilet paper prepping um, and all that and voluntary quarantines. And, you know, the school thing, I just wanted to say something, if it's not really affecting kids and obviously they could be vectors to bring it home to grandparents and whatnot. So shut down the schools. That totally makes sense. I'm just saying, because how many of you know, when is flu seasons? Oh, that's right. When kids go back to school, that's when lice and flus go nuts. Everybody comes home with boogers and everyone's sick. You see all the people that have kids at work calling in sick around September time because their kids brought it home, right? It's because they all kind of get together. Um, And that's what happens. But remember, disease and diseases, uh, you know, mutating is normal. Why is it normal? Because that's globalization. 
And that's how we had viruses and Spanish flus and whatnot in the past. It was because of the insane migration rate of the Mongols. But we've talked about that before. So we're, we're not going to do that again, are we? We've already talked about all this stuff. No need to delve back into it. Now, um, I wanted us to talk a little bit about gold. Remember, we've been on here where I've been telling you we're going to go back to the gold standard. And this could be the avenue setting it up for Christmas time after the elections, like I said. Um, we see Bitcoin dropping, drawing, uh, you know... It's going to get pretty crazy. Uh, it's going to, it's actually going to get really crazy. Now, uh, how many of you were excited to see that um, Mark Meadows is now chief of staff? I, I mean, I was. And I know a lot of you gave him a lot of flack because he aligned with the Democrats in one point, uh, but that's okay. What does that tell you? Mm, it's not flippy floppy. It's flipping the right way. Now, I want to continue with America's newsroom breaking news this morning that Fox had prior to um, Secretary Azar. Uh, the reason I say this is because their reporting had a few little Easter eggs. Take a listen. Contracts overnight hit the 5% maximum drop allowed in a single trading session. Right now, they are down more than 1,200 points as we await the opening bell on Wall Street. Oil prices also plunging down as much as 30% overnight. Saudi Arabia, Russia, and other oil producing countries arguing over how much to cut production in order to prop up prices. We will have more on this later in the show. Meanwhile, coronavirus continues to spread here in the United States with more than 400 confirmed cases in more than two dozen states. And now some school districts across the country are canceling classes due to the outbreak. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to America's Newsroom. I'm Sandra Smith. Lots to talk about today, Sandra. I'm John Scott in for Ed Henry. Those coronavirus cases cropping up in at least 27 states and Washington, D.C. The number of deaths rising to at least 19 in this country. This comes as the Grand Princess cruise ship is expected to dock in Oakland, California today. At least 21 people on board have tested positive for the virus. Oh, gosh. So here we go with the panic again, right? So now let's move over to the non-panic. Let's go into the other news of things. Uh, and this is where we're going to go into the whole Joe Biden fix. Joe Biden won't only win, he'll show there's more that unites us than divides us. He'll restore honor to the Oval Office and tackle our most pressing challenges. That's why I'm proud to endorse Joe. And Kamala Harris, you remember back to some of those tense moments on the debate stage with Joe Biden, now endorsing Biden in this video clip. Here's Kamala. I am with great enthusiasm going to endorse Joe Biden for president of the United States. We need a leader who really does care about the people and who can therefore unify the people. And I believe Joe can do that. What do some of these key endorsements mean for Joe Biden? Well, it just shows more unifying uh, behind Biden, the, the Democratic establishment, his former uh, opponents, uh, everybody sort of getting behind them. Uh, uh, Bernie Sanders featured an endorsement from Jesse Jackson in, in Michigan, but that is a, more of a figure from the past mm. than uh, Kamala Harris or um, Cory Booker. Uh, the, the big problem here 
is the, the math in the Democratic race. Uh, the Democratic um, uh, Party has a system called proportional allocation of delegates. It is not a winner-take-all system. If you win a state, but you win by just a little bit, you only get a few more delegates than the other guy. Now, Joe, San uh, Joe Biden has a lead of about 90 delegates right now, which seems like not all that much. It's doable. But remember, uh, Bernie Sanders won Michigan in 2016 by just a single point over Hillary Clinton. He got 67 delegates and she got 64 delegates. So for winning a big state, Michigan, Bernie Sanders picked up a net four delegates. It's hard to make up a big lead if you can win a big state and you only get four more delegates than the other person. Very interesting. So while Sanders might win some of those states uh, tomorrow, he needs to win by a big, large amount. You mentioned that Jesse Jackson endorsement for Bernie Sanders. Let's listen. Keep hope alive. Bernie Sanders can win, will win, must win. Bernie can win, will win, must win. When Bernie wins, health care wins. Love you guys. Final thoughts on that, Byron, as we head into another big day for the race for 2020 tomorrow. Well, Sanders says this is not make or break for him. He's going to, to stay in it. And the one thing he does have is he has this uh, significant but not huge group of intensely devoted followers. And they're going to stick with him whatever happens on Tuesday. Byron York from the Washington Examiner. Thank you. Thank you, Sandra. All right. And tonight on Fox News Channel, Brett Baer and Martha McCallum will be hosting a town hall with Senator Bernie Sanders ahead of those crucial primaries in six states tomorrow. The town hall will be kicking off tonight at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time. Must-see TV, right, John? That is for sure. In the Okay, so guys, uh, let's just stop one second. So Bernie Sanders, as we know, has a really strong base. I have friends that are doctors, okay, that are, you know, smart people. And when I say doctors, I'm not like talking, you know, go cough doctors. We're talking research. We're talking like people that you would consider intellectual. They're totally outside of my string theory groups, though. Okay, let's just make that a fact. And a lot of these techies that are writing code in their sleep that believe that socialism is the way forward. Um, and they are really united. They really like him because he's likable. Remember that the old guy is totally likable, regardless of, you know, him never working, him having three houses, you know, all of us bust our tushes all day, um, and try to make ends meet. You know, this guy is skating in, you know, he had this huge thing in Detroit, you know, talking about things that people care about, not having clean water you know, debt, um, access. He's got a really strong base regardless if it's big or not. Now, Joe Biden, on the other hand, the endorsement by so many people, especially the media, is actually reckless. It is completely reckless. They're throwing their chips behind a man that doesn't remember who he was vice president to, doesn't know where he is, doesn't know the difference between his wife and his sister, uh, doesn't know. This is reckless. This is dangerous. And the media is just reinforcing what we already know. The president shouldn't be making choices. It's other people. Now, Hillary Clinton came out talking, which was interesting. And I want you guys to listen to her in the media, and I'll tell you why she is in the media. Meantime, Hillary Clinton is taking aim at Bernie Sanders. 
I will support the nominee of the Democratic Party. I do not think he's our strongest uh, nominee against Donald Trump. Is that uh, an endorsement of Joe Biden? I'm not endorsing. Uh, There's nobody left. Well, I, mean, I guess that's true. There isn't anybody it. left. Well, Tulsi Gabbard would argue with that. But is the former Democratic nominee just sore over how the 2016 race unfolded, or does she have a point? Plus, the State Department telling Americans to avoid cruise ships. People are turning out, and they're turning out to try to pick the person they think would be the best president, but also the person, uh, as our nominee, who would most likely be able to beat Trump. And clearly the Trump campaign and Trump himself know who they don't want to run against and know who they do want to run against. Hillary Clinton weighing in on who she thinks will be the best Democratic candidate to go up against President Trump come November. And it's not Bernie Sanders. She also slammed the senator and his supporters for their actions during the 2016 race against her. But the former Democratic nominee stopped just short of throwing her endorsement to Joe Biden. Let's bring in former White House chief of staff, former governor as well, John Sununu. Governor, good morning to you. Good morning. Time is supposed to heal all wounds, but it sounds like four years isn't enough for Hillary Clinton when it comes to Bernie Sanders. Well, it sure sounded like that, but I think as almost everything the Clintons do, uh, there's a bigger purpose behind what's going on. I know you had Michael Goodwin on earlier, and he thinks the biggest purpose is that she is angling to be the default nominee of the party. Uh, but I think there's a slight variation to that. I think she's actually angling to be the vice presidential nominee, hoping that the party will understand that, that if Biden is the nominee, they've got to have a backup there that the public has confidence in, at least the Democratic side of the public has confidence in, might do the job. And since the party laid hands on her last time as the nominee, uh, she probably feels that she can make the credible case that she would be the better uh, alternative if Biden has to yield control of government. She also sort of relitigated the 2016 election in that conversation. As I want always, to play, play a bit of that for you. <laughs> his failure and the behavior of a lot of his top aides, and certainly many of his supporters, um, up to the convention, at the convention, and even up to uh, election day, uh, was not helpful. Uh, I had thought we would unify. That's what we'd always done before. Talking there, obviously, about Bernie Sanders, uh, that doesn't exactly sound like a unifying statement uh, in, a, in and of itself. Well, well, again, I, I go back to, to my original premise, is that, that this, this all had a purpose. And the purpose was to reinforce Biden getting the nomination uh, uh, if that fails to reinforce the fact that she would be the better alternative, not Bernie, and then to reinfa reinforce the fact that if Biden does get the nomination, she would add to the ticket more than anyone else. Uh, it's all structured around uh, the Clinton agenda, not the agenda of the Democratic Party. But she was obviously a failed presidential candidate in 2008, a failed presidential candidate in 2016. Do you really think the party would, would stomach her as a vice presidential candidate? And, and would she want to be vice president? Look, there's, there's still a long time for public uh, debate between Biden and Sanders. 
And if Biden begins to continue, uh, begins to fall apart even more than he has fallen apart with his gaffes to date, uh, the party is desperately going to be looking for a third alternative. And that's what she's counting on. By either being the alternative at the top of the ticket or being the alternative as number two. John Sununu, former governor, former White House chief of well, Sununu makes the case of Hillary Clinton positioning herself, we all know, even though they would really like a real man in the White House like Michelle, right? But um, we're seeing, you know, the fact that people are saying, you know, Joe Biden's not going to be around. The guy... <laughs> literally endorsed President Trump by saying we can't, you know, reelect Democrats. This is a woman that stole the nomination from Bernie Sanders. This is reckless. This is ridiculous. And the more I see them thumping her, the more I'm like, wow, they really, really don't care. They really don't care of what, you know, who is the collateral damage here and what's happening. But they can't stop what's coming. And, you know, I have to say, right, I said that, like, nothing can stop it. Let's see it go. Let's watch this play this week. And it was like right on time, my answer to my prayers, that that is exactly what the president put out. Uh, you know, bottom line is, um, like I've said many, 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 many times before, our borders our economy, our trade, you know, all of these things were part of the election. And, you know, you have to understand that we can't get someone who's been in the trenches to fix it. They'll make it seem like they fixed it. I mean, they're sitting there having 30 years, 20 years, 10 years in the House and the Senate. Oh, yeah, we'll we'll totally. What have you been doing all these years? Nothing. You've been bought out. And like I've said, it was never about that. It was actually giving the control back to the people. You're a shareholder. You're supposed to say what's going. And right now they're telling you, you don't know. It doesn't matter that Joe Biden doesn't know where he's at. Doesn't matter. We're going to put him on the ticket. We're going to steal it from Bernie Sanders. Like it or not, we've got money, crazy money, and this is the way it's going to happen. And you're supposed to listen. And we have Bernie people saying, don't make me vote for Joe. Well, no one said you have to vote for Joe. You can vote for the person that really hasn't caused you any harm. You just don't like them. And that's exactly what's going to happen because they are pissed. Now, we're hearing a lot of yap, 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 yap about oil prices and how Russia and Saudi Arabia are trying to fix it and tank the markets. Listen, these people are hurting hard with China right now. Saudi Arabia and Russia hurting hard, real hard. And it's not them that is fixing anything. Let's backtrack to something that I've told you that a lot of people don't pay attention to. Who has the keys to the kingdom in regards to oil? That's what you have to think of. So how are we doing this? Remember, I've told you Saudi Arabia only has 30 years at pumping at the rate they're at. Told you that. Russia still has. So who has the keys to the kingdom to get oil directly through pipelines to challenge Saudi Arabia and Russia think and where do they get their oil Iran 
Okay. So Iran is the one that gives the majority of the oil to Turkey. So what if Turkey decides that they're selling oil at, you know, $20 a barrel? I'm just saying through their pipelines to just help Iran and their economy to appease the EU so they sit back and leave them alone with what they're doing in Idlib. Just think about it for a second. Then think, what would Saudi Arabia and Russia do? They're not getting the same amount of money that they should be getting going through, through the pipelines. Turkey's challenging Russia, so they need to change the price. You know, a lot of people say the fiat currency is actually based on, ah, petrodollar, right? It's called the petrodollar, right? And what did we see? Oh, just like I said, gold has gone up. What you need to ask yourself is, what was that incredible speech that Mike Bloomberg gave at the IMF in December? That was actually a story I was working on before I had some personal issues and put it on the back burner. I discovered that. So I've talked about the IMF before, haven't I? Told you what bullies they are. Told you who's really in charge. So I want you to think about that for a second. Let that percolate just for a little bit. You know, what is really going on? And as you think of that... We're going to enter into listening to Putin and Erdogan when they met in Moscow. They met on Thursday. And I want you to listen to it. And I'll tell you the things you can't see so you understand. Thank you for agreeing to come. As always, we have a lot to discuss, and the situation today in the province of Idlib in Syria is so acute that it evidently requires us to have this direct conversation. At the beginning, I would like to once again express my condolences over the death of your soldiers in Syria. Okay, I want to tell you something. First of all, Putin, when he sits, he's always in a position of, you know, I'm in charge. During this meeting, Erdogan is sitting the way he is as a sultan, the way his hands are. He's conscious about his body language. Putin, on the other hand, is self-soothing himself by rubbing his hands together as he speaks. Um, he's even lifting his feet as though to go forward like he wants to get out of here. Um, he looks pissed. And when he sat back to stop, he's just like, damn, I have to be very careful what I say here. Because you have to think... <laughs> Why does the whole world hate Russia out of all nations? I mean, they're large in size, but are they really, um, what kind of threat are they? Remember, I've told you that they're the only one with surplus. They have no debt. IMF does not control them. I just want you to listen to their answers and what they say. Erdogan, on the other hand, is standing pretty, you know, dead center. Um, he's obviously not understanding 
a lick of whatever Putin says. His Russian is nine, right? It's zilch. And he's just kind of like waiting on the interpreter. Um, and Putin is deep in thought and he looks really pissed off. He's pissed off containing himself and trying to control his emotions, but it's not from a position of strength. And I wouldn't say fear. I would say more so boxed in. He knows that there are many alternative solutions from the way he's responding to things and what his body is telling us, but his nose is flaring when he sits back, which means he has rage. So there's something going on here and we can focus on the oil now so you can understand it more. Suriye'de hayatlarını yitiren askerleriniz için bir kez daha tazelerimi ifade etmek istiyorum. Hiçbir kimse Suriye askerlerinin dahil olmak üzere I just want to say that while the interpreter is interpreting what Putin is saying, Putin is looking down, not looking at Erdogan. He looks PO'd. His nostrils are flaring. Um, he's reserved. He's aggressive. And guess what? Um, he's aggressive but reserved. It's like one of those, you know, like sarcasm but with your body kind of thing. That's how I see it. But it's like he's holding it back. Erdogan, on the other hand, is giving him a death stare as he listens to the interpreter. Over this time, Syrian soldiers have been dealt serious damage too. The Syrian army has suffered major losses. So we need to talk this over. We need to discuss this whole situation so that nothing of the kind would happen again and so that this would not be damaging relations between Russia and Turkey. And I know that you too do respect these relations and do value them. Okay, so um, Putin right now is looking down, and now you see Erdogan doing the same thing. He's lifting his feet up, kind of like, oh, I want out, um, and more of like, it's more like a soothing, I can get out, flexing the feet, uh, you know, trying to contain himself. Uh, he's kind of shifting position, whereas Putin has his head down, looks up when he speaks a little bit while Erdogan is staring at him, and this is a really uncomfortable situation, you guys. We have these leaders sitting in that room that are supposedly allies really neck and neck. This is not how it should be. And he knows exactly what Erdogan's game is. And I think that they've been trying, he's been trying to mitigate it to keep some advantage point. And Erdogan, remember, I told you, Turkey has their fingers everywhere. EU, US, Iran, Syria, out east. They helped on the funding of the railway, you know, that they're trying to connect. Uh, but they're also surrounded by people that have, you know, banded together like Israel and Egypt and Cyprus and Greece and Syria and Libya, the Libyan National Army, not the Libya acknowledged by the UN. This is really heated. 
And this is where we see that tipping point. Uh, you know, uh, Erdogan's army is becoming aggressive uh, up on the northern border. And we're going to uh, northern borders with Greece and Bulgaria. We're going to talk about that uh, right after the break. And I'm going to leave it right here before we continue with it, because this tells you everything you need to know from the oil and the immigration threat and what is to come. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori, always here Monday through Friday, 12 to 2 Eastern Time, only on Red State Talk Radio. Now, let's take a step back for a second before we continue with this Putin Erdogan so you understand. The fake news, the mainstream media has controlled the narrative for decades Like I said, they tell you what to think, eat, sleep, walk, talk, how to act, what you're allowed to say, what you're not allowed to say. Now, if the president was actually blatantly honest about COVID-19 and would say it's all rubbish, it's a hoax, they're just throwing panic, they want to ruin the markets, they want to cause for panic so I can't rally, so people can't turn up, so my stadiums are empty and everyone says, oh no, can't go. They don't want this, uh, you know, movement to show. They can't hide the numbers. No one's turning up for Biden rallies. And all of us have our eyes open. All of us have penetrated the actual uh, staffers. <laughs> they have staffers that work on Joe Biden that are long ta- long-term staffers <laughs> that are on our side. And we will be revealing those numbers. We will be showing those numbers. And what they want is to make sure that nobody can have rallies so they can minimize. They have amplified this. They have caused, yeah, it's concerning. It's concerning if you're old. It's concerning if you're, you know, neutrophils are under a thousand when you take your blood work. You should wear a mask anyway, and you should be preemptively on antibiotics anyway. I'm just saying. But this is no different than the Zika, the Ebola, the, 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 the test things. Now they're advertising, hey, we'll pay you $7,000 if you come and get infected with the coronavirus. So maybe, you know, people in San Francisco that are on flack or pooping out in the street will get some money so they can go into a home rather than on the street in another state where it's cheaper and maybe become clean. Listen to what they're telling you. They are telling you you need to panic. They are telling us we should not be congregating. They are telling us to what? Use digital technology only that they can control. Pay attention. 
They want to seclude us. And, you know, we need to see how we're going to work this, how we're going to push this, because the president can't just stand there and say, don't listen to them because they will make sure that everybody gets flu A and B. Because let me tell you something, all those panicky people that I have on my Facebook and there's tons. Oh, my gosh. We got infected with the flu, not coronavirus, the flu. Everyone's getting the flu now. And it's like, mm, I thought it was spring. Um, everyone's getting the flu. Oh, you mean the people that already have the vaccine for the flu that had gotten the vaccine for the flu? Nanotech. Funny how that works with certain frequencies. Regardless... They want to play this game, so we need to be careful how we play it. We can't denounce it, but we could say, look, just uh, stay clean. We'll do all the provisional stuff. We can't go against a wave of international news that is complete BS. Complete BS. So there's so many faces to this. And in the meantime, while all these people are supposedly dying, while everyone's in panic, but I don't know, do you know of anyone that has COVID-19? Because the minute you see someone on the right with COVID-19, first of all, you have to ask yourself, genetic makeup, what have you ingested lately? Any nice restaurants you've been to? Um, and... Uh, <laughs> narrative always narrative and you'll see the handlers pushing it like crazy you'll identify those pretty easy so you have to think to yourself we've got this panic now they're targeting the oil market and that's erdogan's doing in the meantime erdogan's like yeah i'm going to call back all the refugees yet his military is up at the border tying ropes around you know the border fence that they have between them and greece to pull it down snipers at the border trigger happy this is what you need to be looking at and i've always said it what you need to do is stand on the moon many of us are there watching and we can see the hot pocket didn't i say heat map where is it in the mediterranean and what have they done they've punished china how dare you work with trump the minute they sign it whoa look virus you can't trade with china now can't have a china deal we're gonna tank their economy so when all those markets on the east topple it'll topple in the west too european union will have you know all this influx of money from the imf thanks for that tip off bloomberg by the way in december and then we're gonna have our fed not doing much and trade being killed. I mean, I wonder all those uh, people on Shark Tank not getting their stuff. I'm just saying. Export it to China. Don't make things in America a lot cheaper in China. Well, that's about to change. So we always need to use a good crisis. Never let it go to waste, right? Never let it go to waste. Just like the president said, fake news. Gasoline prices are dropping anyway. And, you know, to blame, you know, Russia and Saudi, you know, oh man, that mainstream media. And the thing is, how do you go against a giant like that? That's 24 seven on people's walls saying, 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 I mean, these are the same reckless people telling you to throw your chips in behind Biden who doesn't, who, who will soon not even know his name. I'm surprised there's no one next to him wiping dribble off his mouth as he speaks because he's gone. He's that far gone. And in the end, we have Hillary Clinton coming up on the positioning herself yeah make me vp and then he has dementia so he's gonna have to step down and i'm gonna take it oh my gosh such a cool plan but you know 
these neo, you know, crowns, right? These new royals that have stepped in don't like it. Remember, that was Barack Hussein Obama. His his ilk, kind of like, you know, Meghan Merkel swaying the crown a different way in charge, take it down, comb, pull, pet. You're going to be seeing that all coming soon. And the president is doing way He's doing a lot, but now he realizes that they will go to the extent of using biowarfare, not manufactured biowarfare that they're doing now because they know they're susceptible. I mean, if anyone in the House of Congress got sick first, it would be Pelosi. She's a hot mess. She's a hot mess. She would be gone faster than Bernie Sanders, super old, not fit. All of them would be down in a heartbeat if this was actually a thing. Uh, so, I'm just saying we need to stay the, stay the course and what? Listen to the president of the United States. Nobody else, if anything, just the president of the United States. And be objective when we're looking at what is being discussed. So let's continue with what Putin is telling Erdogan. As you requested, we are ready to start this meeting one-on-one, -on -one, then we will be joining our colleagues in, I mean the colleagues which are right here, our delegations. And welcome. Mr. Putin, thank you for a warm welcome. As you know, we suggested holding this meeting in Turkey. But since you are very busy with amending the Constitution, we decided to accept your invitation and come here to Moscow. This meeting of ours is very important due to this crisis in Idlib. The situation in the region is very acute. I know that the whole world's eyes are glued to this place, to this meeting. I believe that our today's discussions and decisions we reached will certainly help to alleviate the situation and the tensions. Turkey and Russia, our relations are at their highest today. That has to do with defense, cooperation, with trade and everything. We believe that we need to make even more progress. 
And our task today is to promote our relations, to make them better. And I hope and I think that we will succeed. And again, thank you for welcoming us here. Thank you. Oh, wow. So this is their conversation prior to their meeting. So we're going to listen to their conversation after their meeting. During this meeting, their body language was hostile, refrained, and that is all you have to kind of focus on. Um, and hostile and refrained is another word for <laughs> we're not playing well together. And I want you all to remember, who else do the people of the United States not play well together? The Obama and Biden administration. How many times have I said, how many times have I repeated impeach 44? So what are we seeing? What are we seeing here? So we see Putin and Erdogan. Remember, S-400 missile systems, all this love and affection, and suddenly everything changes. What are you missing from this whole scenario that is being played out in front of you in Idlib? That's what you have to think. What is it? So how do you, how do you evade the threats from your adversaries. Think about it. How do you evade it? So you have to create a situation where your attack seems to be what? Low on the probability of being defined. Now, why am I saying this? We have to turn this crisis into benefit. Uh, anything the president does is scrutinized as if everything's his fault. Uh, markets crash, his fault. Coronavirus, his fault. Uh, you know, everything, his fault. Uh, you know, now he's telling you what well, I've been saying before he's been tooting it, that last year, 37,000 Americans died from the common flu. It averages between 27,000 and 70,000. Nothing was shut down. Everything kept going. And so far, we've only had 22 deaths. He's telling you it's a hoax. He's telling you it's a hoax. And what are they doing? They are pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. Why? Why are they pushing? Why is the Obama administration, which is still not the perceived, but the actual administration in running through the executive orders. They've got huh, programs that they've deployed like no sock puppets. We've talked about this on Twitter, right? We've talked about the sock puppets. We've talked about DARPA. Huh. We've talked about the list of the people at the De Department of Defense that are on. We've talked about it. Listen, we're already ahead of everything right now. We are ahead of everything. Ahead of everything. I'm ahead of things. Over two years on one, you know, uh, six months on, usually it's an average of seven months, right? I mean, come on, this Ukraine stuff, way ahead of it. Why? Because we already have everything we need. I've said it. And the world has been changing slowly. Everyone is waking up. You know, this border thing, suddenly it's like, yeah, we all need borders now because, because, because it's important. 
It's important that we have borders to sense what threats to be able to filter who comes in, right? That's what it is. Remember, I've, I I told you guys, I, I joined, um, the U S armed forces through the Navy. Think, how is it that the Obama administration can reduce their head on collision with what's coming? Uh, think of it as a ship. I want you to think of a ship. So when ships want to reduce uh, their presence in a certain area, they chaff, right? Remember those birds that they saw or something on a radar? That was actually chaffing, right? It's a distraction, right? Remember, we, we had a really long talk about that. So I'm just saying, just listen to your president. Everything else is nonsense. He's telling you is that they can't stop it. Whatever they do to stop it will only amplify it because they can't stop it. It's already in motion. You can't stop something that's already in motion and expect to not have casualties. And right now, they really don't give two cents about casualties. They don't care the effect it will have on you and I. They don't care about anything. So your job is to remain calm. And any person on the right that I see two things do. One, talk about how they stockpiled. And, you know, they're ready if it happens. You know, kind of like, yeah, if it happens, you know, I've got all this. And, you know, if it doesn't happen, well, we'll just eat everything. That's number one danger. Number two, number two is what? People advocating for Assange to be free and not come to the United States. Those are the two things you should care about right now. So that way you can parse apart who is gaslighting you, who is giving it to you, parse it apart. Hmm. You just need to parse that apart. Now, I want you guys to listen to th- the discussions that Putin, uh, post-discussion, Putin Erdogan, during their presser, what they had to say. Take a listen. Contacts allow us to resolve bilateral issues and develop a mutual approach to resolving key international issues. Today we have discussed a very urgent situation in the Syrian province of Idlib. Since the beginning of this year, militants acting in this province have uh, activated and uh, they have done a lot of damage uh, to the civilians. Militants uh, have continued their attacks on the Russian Khmeimim airbase. Once again, they attempted to use uh, missiles and shelling against it. There have been at least 15 attacks on Khmeimim since the start of this year, and each time in real time we informed our Turkish counterparts of that. In fact, the militants were able to restart hostilities. Unfortunately, Turkish, mil- Turkish troops have also... Uh, being killed and uh, in this regard I've expressed my condolences to Mr. Erdogan Erdogan, and I've expressed my condolences to the entire Turkish people. We do not always agree with everything 
with regards to our Syrian partners, but in every critical moment. We base our actions on a high level of our bilateral ties, and we were always able uh, to find uh, some mutual understanding and develop and come up with uh, solutions. And we were able to do the same thing today. We have reaffirmed that both of our countries are interested in continuing our work within the Astana format. It is the Astana process that boosted uh, Syrian political process. And today's meeting was preceded by work by several consultations of different delegations on the situation in the Idlib zone, and both our countries believe that we need to preserve the sovereignty and territorial integrity of Syria. We are convinced that we cannot stop fighting international terrorism. And following the results of our meeting, we formed a came up with a document that uh, uh, will be presented by our foreign ministers. The document. Uh, uh, speaks of decisions that uh, myself and Mr. Erdogan have uh, come up with over our talks. I hope that these agreements will help create the foundation to, to find a way towards de-escalation in Idlib, in Syria and will help prevent a humanitarian crisis and will create conditions to continue the peace process in the Syrian Arab Republic between all the parties involved. I'd like to thank Mr. Erdogan. I thank him for coming to Moscow and for reaffirming the stages of our relations. I'd like to thank all of uh, our Turkish colleagues for this difficult but very constructive work which resulted very positively. Thank you. I would like to thank Mr. Putin. Ministers, media, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to express my deepest respect for everyone and like to thank Mr. Putin for inviting me for a meeting. We see that these tensions persist and it's good to have had this meeting. Today we pay special attention to Syria and to the recent developments in the province of Idlib. As Vladimir Putin said, we spent over six hours talking over this issue. I can say that we had a very frank conversation and we discussed every issue on the agenda. As you know, relations between Turkey and Russia go deep into history. We have over 500 
hundred years of history that we share and between our peoples there are very close relations, traditions. What we would like to do is to continue our cooperation on the principles of mutual respect. This year we are celebrating the 100th anniversary of establishing diplomatic relations. And we invited Vladimir Putin to visit Turkey on that occasion. As you know, in 2018, in September, Vladimir Putin and I reached an agreement. We signed the Sochi Memorandum, agreeing upon the situation in Idlib. We agreed to alleviate tensions and we agreed that there will be no attacks launched in that region. Starting with May, more and more attacks started to appear, and that was the reason why we believe the agreement was violated. That was its violation. The responsibility lies with the regime's forces. They violated the agreement. Four million people live in that region, and these four million people are not terrorists, but they are bombed nonetheless. We Okay, so he is really infatuated with the number of 4 million. 4 million refugees, I have 4 million refugees, 400 million are there, 4 million are there. Like how many millions of Syrians are there? Now, I want to take you back to what they were talking about, about this agreement. They called it the Syrian peace process. So after Barack Hussein Obama totally messed up in Syria, I mean, they lost the plot, couldn't level it out because of Russia being there. There was a meeting and it's called the Astana, Astana Agreement. Remember, Astana used to be the capital of Kazakhstan that now has changed its name to Nur Sultan, right? And Nur Sultan in Arabic says, we were sent, we've sent, like we are the people. And remember, Astana or Nur Sultan is called now is where the center of many, 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 many weird meetings Let's plow through commercials. Weird meetings are being held, okay? We're talking, we have all these European Council meetings that are held annually there. Uh, the city is creepy AF, okay? Uh, Kazakhstan um, is pretty incredible in the way it looks. It used to uh, be part of um, Russia, in a sense, um, and with the Russian Jihad was removed, um, Kazakh has, uh, you know, Kazakhstan actually has many languages there, not just Kazakh, but many other dialects that are being lost um, as, uh, you know, this movement from them have happened. Uh, it's important for people to know that um, this agreement that they put together um, is about uh, this uh, Air, the Arab League getting together with the UN special envoy, of course, Russia and Western powers. Can we only guess which those Western powers are, uh, which is the five eyes um, and Europe in general. So these are the people that wanted to 
to end conflict between the opposition of Syria um, with Western-backed Kurdish forces. Oh, and by the way, I urge you to check Google Maps and type in Kurdistan. Google has already outlined Kurdistan. I'm just pointing that out. Now, they came to an agreement and they decided how they're going to do it and how they're going to, you know, move it along. And it was on October 15th that Russia, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Qatar, and Iran had talks about the Syrian war in Luzon, right? So Luzon is in Switzerland. This is neutral ground. They had this chit chat on the 15th of October of 2016. Uh, And this is where they chit chatted. Now in the middle of December, 2016, Putin and Erdogan agreed to suggest that Astana, the capital of Kazakhstan would be the new venue to continue their discussions about Syria, not Um, Switzerland. This is important and this is a key fact that people need to understand. Um, So on the 20th of um, December, uh, you know, Russia, Iran, and Turkey, um, you know, agreed uh, to a um, UN resolution to move their discussions to Kazakhstan. Interesting, right? Why are you moving them to Kazakhstan? Why in Astana? Astana talks and is, is for them to cease fire to help the situation. Why has it been moved to Kazakhstan? This is really, really important. And it's key. You have to think, why are we moving them? Why are we not in Geneva anymore with Switzerland, right? And why are we in Kazakhstan? This is important for people to just to just take it in for now and we'll revisit that later. And, and you'll remember it because I'm making a point of it. So, you know, here um, discussions were being made and Russia is the conduit for Syria because they have a mutual defense agreement came in and put forward uh, something like uh, putting together like the Republic of Syria, like giving them a republic and, you know, having their authorities put in certain ways um, and to help like move away from uh, you know, radical Islamic beliefs such as, uh, you know, Sharia law. And it's it was pretty interesting that they were continuing on these talks. But as we see, for some reason, there's a, been a rebuff of backing, you know, Al-Qaeda. So we see that Erdogan is funding radical Islamic terrorists within uh, the outskirts of Idlib to fight the Syrian army because that Syrian army, he believes, and I know it's probably happening more than he would like, but that they're gearing up to push forward with a resolution for Kurdistan. And all you have to do is take a look at um, Google Maps and notes from meetings that are being held in Nur Sultan, uh, formerly known as Astana, because the capital of the country's name was changed from Astana to Nur Sultan, which is super bizarre and creepy and steganographic and what, right? So 
I want you guys to remember that all we see in the oil uh, industry battle, this all comes down to the same thing, right? It's all about power. And those that have been in power for so long are pulling at every corner they have. We know that Turkey found this to be an opportunity to give rise to the Ottoman Empire once again. They have aggressively penetrated the Eastern Mediterranean. They have complete disregard for their neighboring countries. They do not care. And the UN is propelling that in order to keep them as a buffer of conflict. So that way, the other nations that disagree with Turkey's actions, or let's put it this way, the UN's actions cannot have the bandwidth to address it. So the United Nations is spearheading most of this conflict. And, you know, a lot of tequila going around from the Muslim Brotherhood, like right now, as we speak, there's a women's equality summit in Qatar. Like if you believe that those Sharia goons that fund clowns like Ilhan Omar and Rashida, right? And Turkey and Somalia and Eritrea that have been funding all these migrants from Somalia, from Eritrea, from Pakistan to penetrate the European Union. If you believe that they believe that that there should be women in quality, you are not on board with reality, like the actual reality, not the perceived one that the government that is not in power. Well, maybe they are actually because the perceived one is trying to eradicate their ability to penetrate what we perceive as government. And this is on a global scale. And as long as they hold the bullhorn, they can say what they want as long as they hold it. Now, I wanted to kind of float back to the mention that I made that February had put boots on. Remember in February, I said, did you guys feel that? There was like a shift, almost like February put on concrete boots. And it felt as if it was really, really long. I mean, think about it. Just, just think. It's March 9th, right? And tomorrow, by tomorrow morning, we should have something pretty exciting happening. But it's March 9th. Look at how much stuff has happened from January 1st until March 9th. So much stuff. We've had impeachment, no impeachment, laws being changed, people being fired, epidemics, trade, travel, talks. What else have we had? Um, stolen elections, not stolen elections, people falling down, people getting sick, people dying, wars, war outbreak, war threats the European Union coming out with teeth. We're seeing all of this happen. We don't hear much about the southern border because, you know, the Democrats, we've taken that card away from them with this whole coronavirus. They can't say, we need open borders. They can't say that, right? Because they're thumping this virus. Um, so all of this has happened. All these mega, you know, super rich people 
resigning, arrested, Weinstein done, Hillary Clinton back on the scene. We are seeing so much happen and it all happened in two months. I'm going to tell you something about time dilation. Now, I'm not going to get really into it, but just so you understand the math, the kind of math I do um, and, you know, how I, you know, travel through time, as I say. So, Think about it this way. If um, I'm in a car and I'm driving at 60 miles per hour, you are standing on the street and you're looking at me, you can see me go 60 miles per hour from your point of reference, from your, what is it? Subjective place. Okay. Now, if you're in a car that's traveling 40 miles an hour and I'm traveling 60 miles an hour, right? From your perspective, from your subjective timeline and velocity, I'm moving 20 miles an hour per you, right? The difference. Okay. Now, when that's, that's basic physics, right? That's the the relative motion, the theory of relativity, that it's all relative to the point that's observing it, right? So when Einstein created his massive E equals MC squared, he had to find an excuse as to why everything else is relative to the point of reference, like who's watching to determine their movement, right? The velocity through time, because if you're, let's, let's do it this way. If I'm, um, if I'm on an airplane and for some reason I have like crazy vision and I can see, um, the big Ben clock. Okay. I'm just going to say it big Ben. I could see it from Heathrow. I get in the plane, BA just hits up and I'm heading to New York, but I can see big Ben, the clock. And it says that the time there is, I don't know, three, now, as I'm traveling with the airplane at 500 miles an hour and the faster that I start to go, those clock hands seem to go really, really slow, right? It's almost as if they're not moving because I'm moving so fast, correct? Where someone that's walking down the street uh, won't get very far and the time seems to move. So they'll see the 301, but for me, it'll be a while before I see 301. I'll travel really far away from it. I'm trying to put you in that mindset. So if I want, so if, if that's relative to the point of reference or how fast you're going, right, within that time span, then how is the speed of light fixed? Can you tell me that, oh, light travels like this no matter what? Which would mean, and that's what Einstein did. He did an experiment where he like imagined, you know, two lights flashing at the same time on either side of him. And so there's a dude on a bicycle going by and he's like watching him really you know, time would be, if, if the speed of light is fixed, then no matter where the guy is on the bicycle at the time of driving by me with two lights flashing right next to me, he would see them simultaneously, but that's not the case. He would see the one closest to him first and then the other one. So how do we excuse that? If the speed of light is 
fixed and time is perceptive on your motion through life, right? Then how do you create it? And that's what he invented was this time dilation, like expanding, you know, time for a second, like this, this black hole that you get into that, you know, have you guys seen this movie? Oh my gosh, I totally loved it. And I don't remember the name of it with these kids that when it was really badly played, I'm just going to say the graphics weren't good, but the concept was awesome. So there were these kids that went in a cave and in that cave, you know, they were still kids and they wanted to come out on the other end of the cave, but only like a few seconds, like in their, you know, in their time, uh, about, uh, you know, a minute of getting into that cave and falling to the bottom, they pick up their walkie talkie and they're talking to the person on the surface and the person on the surface is like 80, but only a minute went by. So in that cave, they had like cavemen in it and other people that were trapped in this time dilation where a minute for them was like hundred years on the surface. And then they tried to escape and the world had just gone so far into the future. It was like, you know, super crazy, super awesome concept. That's why I like that movie. But that would be what a time dilation would be that you would be in a place and it would take a long time. Now, the math that I do, right, allows one to predict time or I shouldn't say that, could predict events in the future by taking into account all the variables without the necessity of time, without taking into account um, that time is linear, but keeping it more like it, you know, laps over itself. I've said this how many times before. So when you're doing such math, I'm just going to say equations that you form and the um, timelines that you see all fit into this dilation pocket. Okay. So right now I want to tell you what the math tells us. The math tells us that we've just revamped this crisis to one, disable them on the border control and two, to use it to our advantage to begin the purge. And this is what we're going to see happening very soon. Comes in like a lion, out like a, as we know. So this is how things are progressing and we see it because President Trump is telling that himself. He's pointing out the issues that we have in regards to factual stating statements. He's indicating to you that there are severe concerns as to how the media is amplifying something that shouldn't be amplified. They are trying to crash the market. They are trying to cause panic and harm. And all we see is what? Oh, a, a trap, right? With it, that we are falling into a trap, but in essence, they are because what they want to do is divert attention away from things that are to come, but they can't stop it. It's already in motion. What's Newton's law? Things that are in motion tend to stay in motion. Kind of like that's why when you pump the brakes on your car, you fall through the dashboard. If you're not wearing a seatbelt, cause you're still really moving. Now, so are timelines. They shift all the time, all the time. No joke. So right now what we're seeing is a huge, crazy march. And I feel that there was some 
delay in time, kind of like a, I want to say dilation based on facts. So we had like a time dilation pocket, like a cave uh, in February. And we're, I feel like we're all coming out of that cave now because it's just been a string of multiple events. And all of you, come on, how many of you right now feel like we're in the month of June? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. And I'm not talking weather. I'm talking, wow, 2020 passed. How long ago? We just had New Year's. We just had, you know, Valentine's Day. But does it feel like that? It doesn't. That Christmas just passed. It doesn't feel like that. Does it? So it's like as if time has slowed down purposely. And it's as if the month of February literally wore concrete boots. And I'm going to take it out to this limb just so you understand. Time can be, can be manipulated via, um, via ways of controlling reality. Remember, reality hackers, how they go. Mm-hmm. So you have to mitigate reality hackers. And the only way to do it is to play by their rules, kind of like what President Trump is doing now. Reality hacking is creating a perceived situation, a perceived dilemma, a perceived crisis um, in order to amplify one message, penning you into a certain place. So right now, how it's seeming that these timelines keep shifting because everyone keeps trying to pen the people in one place. And it does not help that it is just honest people with dishonest people with megaphones because like we saw, you know, Erdogan and his 4 million refugees. How many you're saying that they're in Idlib, but no, they're in Turkey and then you're releasing them, but they all have weapons. They all have tear gas. They're all not from Syria. So all of this masked and cloaked, you know, um, data that you're getting or bombarded with information doesn't match what the people are giving you. The people are using the platforms of the media to push forward and and amplify on the borders in Bulgaria and Greece of what's really going on. And even the news themselves are telling you that these people aren't Syrian. Yet for some reason, everybody thinks they're Syrian refugees. Think they're penning you in. This is the battle of reality, the battle of timelines right now. So um, tomorrow, I believe this by tomorrow morning, this should be a break. It should be like like a crack from it and things are just going to unwind real quick. And, uh, this is what we are anticipating because it all comes to this. It's like tug of war at some point, some, someone's going to have more slack to pull, right? Someone's going to have more slack to pull. And that's where we're at that there's this push and pull of realities. Think about it. How can you sit there and tell me that they're Syrian refugees, but you're also reporting that they're all Afghan or Somali. And then how can you sit there and fund the refugees who have weapons attacking, yet we have the other people showing that the actual military of Erdogan, even though he said that he's pulling them back, is literally trying to pull down fences and has snipers. Which one is the reality? Both of them seem to be on opposite ends of the spectrum, pulling you back and forth. This is what we are observing. The same thing with coronavirus. So are we sick or are we not sick? 
Why is everybody getting flu A and B and not really coronavirus? How are 3,000 people globally dead, a lot of people, when, you know, normally it's like 70,000 within our country in a year? What is really going on here? In the meantime, we have the bank that, you know, loaded up the plane with cash to Iran, having their CEO step down. I mean, it's pretty incredible. And they're supposed to be uh, the the banking. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. See, the banking system is going to be tipped on their head and they are pissed. They are so pissed. And I, that's all I can tell you. They are really pissed because they can't stop what's coming. We already have Space Force. It's already out there. The good guys with their payloads are already doing their thing. And boy, there's so many of us that can just look ahead and bring it back and help pen correctly and drive. You see Twitter now telling you that it's racist, calling someone out because they're sick with COVID. You've got OK Boomer being banned, but yet we have so much child pornography out there, uh, just out there. And the thing is, um, you have to be collectively saying the same thing. And what I am visualizing and what I've been seeing during this time dilation where they've slowed down time because you can really do it. There's a science behind it. Um, you know, they've started to create division because those people that were placed in key spots to push that division are literally doing it now. And your goal, your eyes should be on what is most important. And what is most important is taking back the house, maintaining this administration, focusing on Assange, coming to the United States of America is important. And purging the mainstream media. You give them credibility as long as you toot them. Okay. As long as you retweet, um, and refer to CNN, to Fox, to OAN, to these blue check marks, you're giving them credibility. You should be retweeting and re, you know, thumping the people that aren't blue check marks, the people that are doing hard work, the people that are focusing on things that matter for you. What matters for you? <laughs> Thump those. You know, there's so many people out there with some great threads, great research, digging up great things. I mean, you know, uh, there was a, a thread that I was looking into where they were talking about using human parts to accentuate, uh, you know, wine. And then I was thinking, boy, don't tell me that that winery is where, you know, Pete Buttplug had his, you know, huh campaign donation party hardy thing these are the people you should be amplifying the digital soldiers the citizen journalists the people that are on the ground watching the people within your city and your state digging up dirt from your town hall to your city council to your school boards to your state level those are the people that are the news those are the people that you want to thump not these blue check marks and media that are telling you to go buy toilet paper or tweeting out I got myself a lot of stuff you know at the end of the day uh, you know it's just like mm, uh, we'll just eat it if it's left over why are you telling people that why are you going to stockpile why are you adding to the 
panic to something that doesn't really exist. CPAC, let's not get with the RNC. I've already made clear, you know, how dumb they were, how corrupt they are, and why they're still there, and why we are allowing them. And this, this all stems back from the 2018, um, uh, you know, uh, Convention, the CPAC convention, and uh, the 2016 R- um, RNC convention that was held in Cleveland. Dude, they are not good people. Like, they were sitting down and having conversations of how they can avoid to nominate our president. They were the ones that sat there and said, Well, you know, we can't do anything else because they'll lead us alive, so let's just play. Ask them what they did in 2016. 16, what they've done in 2017, what they've done in 2018, what they've done in 2019, because don't forget we have the server. Ask them, what have they done to go against the president of the United States? Slap, slap. I'm just saying we need to remember these people need a slap in the face sometimes to get put not not advocating for violence this is a figure of speech i have to like clarify that uh because you know tide pod generation so these are the people that are supposed to be our representative voice right they're supposed to be our representatives and they are not instead you have to rely on people like mm, you know (laughs) okay i'm gonna take that back actually you're not gonna rely You need to just focus on your president. That's all you need to do. Don't rely on anyone except for your intuition, your little voice in your head, and the president of the United States. That's all you have to look at. That's all you have to focus on, him. Eyes on him. What he tells you, he tells you. Because you can see everything you need to succeed in what he is stating to you. Oh my gosh, that doesn't even make sense, does it? There is no trust with the people in leadership within the Republican Party, within the RNC, within the lobbyists that we see, because it's always about the interests that drive them. You know, in any party, If you have money, you have a voice. If you have no money, you have no voice. Your money dictates how loud you'll be heard. And this is the same thing for the mainstream media. Your money is how loud you can be heard. Like if I wasn't working, you know, I wouldn't be able to afford having a website having being able to do a show um having a platform to do it on um tweeting writing creating a website right imagine if people that you consider your news actually had the insane money that cnn has actually had that at some point they as well would be driven by interest too because power is depicted by wealth, apparently, in our society and has been for years. So this is what you would see, that there would be corruption in that too. Hence, modest digital soldiers are what drives us forward. And the modest digital soldiers are usually just great mathematicians, great coders. And they pretty much just tell you what the president is saying with a little bit of math flair to it. 
So according to my recent travel, it's going to be a doozy. Hold on to your seat. I'll see you tomorrow. God bless.